0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. All this week on Reset, we're taking a closer look at inequities in vaccine access and distribution in the Chicago region. And we're talking with the people working to set it right. It's the latest in our series, Closing the Gap, where we explore disparities in our area and talk solutions.
2: The fact of the matter is that the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the magnitude of of health inequities in the United States. It's highlighted structural racism, our institutions, practices and policies. And the mortality rate is, is more than twice as high in Black, Latinx, and Indigenous populations than in white populations. And a lot of data reveals that there's a very strong socioeconomic component.
1: That's Audra Wilson, president and CEO of the Shriver Center on Poverty Law. According to recent info from the city, half of the Chicagoans who have gotten a vaccine so far are white. Just 17% are Latino, 15% are Black, and 14% are Asian. Health officials and researchers say one way to make distribution more diverse is to make vaccine trials more diverse. In a moment, we'll hear from healthcare workers leading this effort at the local and national levels. But first, we wanted to know what it was like to be part of a COVID 19 vaccine trial. So let's turn to Bonnie Blue. Hi, Bonnie. Well, thanks for having me. Also with us is Eduardo Rolox. Hi, Eduardo. Hi. Now, both of you were the very first participants of a COVID-19 vaccine trial in Chicago. And Bonnie, this wasn't an easy decision for you because your your friends and family were highly against it and your health condition has been challenging over the years. So tell me, why did you still want to participate in a vaccine trial?
3: Well, since I was 19, uh, I have been fighting asthma. I spent most of my life in hospitals, on life support and waking up in ICUs. So knowing how that feels and knowing that I definitely would not want anyone else to go through that kind of misery and fear, I felt it was my responsibility to step forward and put myself out there, take the vaccine or be part of the trial so that others can see that it's safe. Because if I can take the vaccine, whether or not it was during the trial or afterwards, with my health issues, I'm fine and you will be all right.
1: Yeah. How did you feel, though? W- were you nervous? It's got to be an emotional roller coaster taking part in a vaccine trial for the deadliest pandemic in in a century in this country.
3: Yes. And let me tell you, I prayed a lot. I think I might have worked God's last nurse because (laughs) I kept saying, okay, if I'm not supposed to do this, give me a sign. But what I was getting was that I was calm. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't nervous. I was just doing it. And they made it So easy for me. Everyone was very friendly. There weren't a lot of people there. You know, they made me feel like a fellow human being versus what happens often.
1: Eduardo, let's hear from you because you felt like you needed to step up too, right? And and participate in this vaccine trial. Tell tell us more about what made you volunteer.
0: First of all, I wanted to take part in something that was historic in nature and revolutionary because an mRNA vaccine has never made it past clinical trials. And this is very new technology that's very exciting because it has implications way beyond COVID as far as treatments for cardiovascular problems, cancer, multiple sclerosis, and a whole lot of other illnesses. And also, I'm part of a high-risk group whose life expectancy is about a week's time if they should come down with COVID complications. Okay. So I really wanted to do something desperately to um, save myself from being in that predicament.
1: And you, you have a perspective here in this conversation, Eduardo, that's unique, right? You identify as Afro-Latino?
0: Yes, that is correct.
1: And so you understand, then, uh, some of the talk that we've had around vaccines and and hesitancy among the Black and and Latino populations.
0: Right. So basically, the Latinos really don't know too much about COVID. And the African-American perspective is that there has been a long and periodic history of African Americans being used for the advancement of medical understanding. And this goes back to Dr. Um, Marion Sims, who is considered the father of gynecology, and he experimented on slave women without the use of anesthetics. And then there's the issue of Henrietta Lacks, whose cells were used without her knowledge and consent. And now her cells are all over the world and labs all over the world. And even they're being used to text or to advance the understanding of COVID and develop COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. And there's also the, the Tuskegee syphilis study. So there's a long history yeah. of this kind of stuff going on. So I, I can understand why. A lot of African-Americans are uh, leery Mm -hmm. of participating in any kind of vaccination program or, or trial or anything of the line.
1: Right. Now, you both recently found out what you received during the trial. Bonnie, you received the placebo. So how did you feel throughout the process? Did you have any concerns?
3: Initially, I was really excited and I actually thought I received the actual vaccine. And I was excited to do it. It's like, oh, I'm not having any side effects. My arm isn't even hurting. So they should have been a clue to me. But even though I thought that I was protected, I still continue to wear my mask. I continue to stay in my bubble.
1: Does it mean that you're not eligible to receive the vaccine right now? Like, Do you have to remain a placebo participant until a certain date?
3: I just discovered on the 11th when I went in that I received the placebo. But, of course, I did receive the actual vaccine then. Okay. And uh, the only issues I had were, you know, my arm was sore.
1: Right, which was the the clear difference from the first time. Uh, Absolutely. Now, Eduardo, you actually received the vaccine in your trial. What was your experience like?
0: After I received the first shot, my arm was extremely sore for like about three or four days to the extent that I called my personal physician and I complained to him about it. And he's an um, infectious disease specialist and immunologist. So he said, oh, with that vaccine, that's, that's a normal reaction to it. So I wasn't particularly concerned. But then after the second shot, I had chills and fevers and headaches and all the side effects that people were complaining about. And it wasn't until I um, went for the unblinding that I actually learned that I received the vaccine itself. And um, I was really thrilled about that.
1: So before we let you go, tell us, Eduardo, how do you hope your participation will help with this fight against COVID-19?
0: Well, I'm hoping people can see that there is transparency in the process of the vaccine approval. There's a lot of participation by people of color in this study, and people should really lay aside their fears and look towards their best interest, their Mm -hmm. best well-being. And that's what I would hope that my participation in in this study would cause.
1: Bonnie, I'll give you the last word here.
3: Okay, what my hope is, is that people will see and hear regular people, such as Eduardo and myself, and we decided to go ahead and do it, and we both have medical issues, and we're still here. It's better to go on, get vaccinated, deal with a little discomfort for a few days, Versus being in ICU alone and afraid, and this was something that could be avoided.
1: That's Bonnie Blue and Eduardo Rolox, the first participants of a COVID-19 vaccine trial in Chicago. They both completed the Moderna vaccine trial at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Bonnie and Eduardo, thanks so much for your time today.
3: Thank Thank you for having us.
1: Let's turn now to two healthcare workers taking a lead on vetting vaccines at the local and national levels. Joining us now is Dr. Lois Clark. She's the Director of Clinical Research at Loretto Hospital in the Austin neighborhood on the west side. Hi, Dr. Clark. Good morning. Also with us is Dr. Lakeisha Butler. She's a member of the COVID 19 Task Force on Vaccines and Therapeutics. For the National Medical Association, which is the nation's largest and oldest organization representing African-American physicians and professionals in the country. And she's also a clinical professor for the School of Pharmacy at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. Dr. Butler, welcome to Reset.
4: Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
1: Now we just heard from two of Chicago's very first vaccine trial participants. They're both people of color and they're in high-risk groups. Dr. Butler, I'll start with you. Tell us why diversity is so important in clinical trials, especially in ongoing COVID 19 vaccine trials.
4: Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we saw the disparities highlighted amongst minoritized communities, specifically the African American and Black community, the Hispanic community, um, as it relates to, to COVID 19 higher hospitalizations, higher cases of COVID-19, but more importantly, higher rates of death. For the Black African-American population, we have seen um, over two times the rate of other groups as it relates to death for COVID-19. So because of these disparities, we want to ensure that we understand how the vaccines uh, work in, in these communities. But more importantly, we want to to get the vaccine to these populations. And so distribution is critical.
1: Now, as a member of the COVID-19 task force for the National Medical Association, you've actually been vetting COVID-19 vaccine candidates in the clinical process. And you're also the only pharmacist on the panel. What What's the group's mission? Dr. Butler, and why did you want to be a part of the task force?
4: The group's mission was to bring together a national task force of physicians, specifically black physicians and other healthcare professionals, to understand the, the process, to be a part of the clinical process, to be able to speak with the manufacturers, uh, the FDA, the CDC, so that we have an in-depth understanding of what's going on uh, as relates to the development and implementation of, of the vaccine in our country. The reason for that is specifically we as black healthcare professionals were in fact hesitant about the process. Um we were hesitant as it relates to the, the speed, uh, the tidal operation warp speed, uh, the inclusion of African Americans in the clinical trial process, and quite frankly, the the treatment of African-Americans in the clinical trial process. There has been a level of socialization from the years of mistreatment and abuse, but specifically the mistrust that is developed in in this particular community. And so Mm
2: -hmm.
4: in order for us to be able to recommend the, the vaccine to our communities and to our patients, we had to address our own hesitancy. And what better way to, than to be a part of vetting the vaccine on, on a grander level?
1: So do you feel more confident now?
4: Absolutely. Being a part of this process has been quite insightful. My hesitancy is, in fact, gone. Um, I just recently had my, my first dose of the Moderna vaccine uh, two weeks ago. And prior to receiving the vaccine, because of the data that I've been able to critically evaluate, I understand the process and realize that even though, you know, this has been a quicker process than usual, it has not lacked the rigor that was needed in order to, to be confident in, mm-hmm. in the process and be confident in the product.
1: Now, Dr. Clark, I want to bring you into this conversation because COVID-19 vaccine trials at Loretto Hospital, they're expected to start in March. Now, ensuring diversity in these trials is a top priority for the hospital. So can you tell us more about that and how Loretto is trying to make sure that that actually happens?
2: Yes. So... Ensuring diversity in the trials is really a top priority for us as well as really becoming a mandate for trials in general, making sure that they're diverse. We wanted to bring this to the community, specifically our community, which is largely black and brown, so that they would see that we had confidence in the trials and that we are a trusted source of medical information for them, and we're here for them to participate in the trials. So it's not that the virus is necessarily going to choose black or white, but it is, as Dr. Butler said, has been harder on our community. So it's important that we participate in these clinical trials. It's important that people feel confident, and that's why we wanted to, by being one of the largest employers in the Austin area. And a hospital right in the heart of our community, we wanted to participate in these trials.
1: I want to take a step back, Dr. Clark, because I think the average person when they hear the phrase vaccine trial, and we hear it so much, some people still don't really understand what that entails. Tell us, how long does it take? And how often do you check in with patients? And what if they have an adverse reaction? So,
2: the, the vaccine trials, if when a person gets on a trial, it may take a year to two years. Now, that doesn't mean that they are here every day, but it does mean that we will be checking in on them for those two years. They will come in, they will be screened, um, they will get, for example, blood work, they will certainly get a physical exam, they will become part of the trial after they're screened, and then after that, our team checks in with them on a pre-scheduled time, but usually like once a week, and then they come back in for more blood work, more screenings, and so we're with them the whole way through the trial. Mm. They have access to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. They will get a way of contacting us if there's any adverse reaction. If they have any questions, we are always here for them.
1: And you're hoping to have 300 participants in these trials. What are okay. you hearing from community members that you've reached out to? We hear the hesitancy, as
2: Dr. Butler was saying. There is mistrust because everyone remembers the Tuskegee trials and the abuse there, and that we have to overcome their mistrust. We want people to understand that it's because of those past abuses, that all the safety protocols have been put in place so that that never happens again.
1: Now, Dr. Butler, what are you finding in your research with the task force around COVID-19 vaccine candidates and the clinical process?
4: That's a great question. What what we're finding is certainly the safety and efficacy associated with with the the vaccine candidates. Specifically, we are looking at the number of uh, Black participants in the clinical trials. We're looking at if there are any specific differences in the way that individuals responded to to the vaccine as relates to the the safety or the side effects, adverse effects in specifically the the black population and participants. What we're also looking at is how we are continuing to monitor the post-surveillance effects of the vaccine, and so there are a number of ways that that is being done by the CDC. V-safe is one in particular. We're also starting to speak with the other vaccine candidate manufacturers, such as AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, to learn more about the platform or the methodology and the mechanism of their specific vaccine candidate. So we know with Pfizer and Moderna that those in particular are using the mRNA platform, but some of the other candidates are are using other types of modalities. What I'm very proud of is the intentionality and and getting this significant representation in the clinical trials uh, to date. So to date, we've seen about 10% of the clinical trial participants being African-American. And that is significant when we look at or compare to other clinical trials of the past. On average, we normally see between 3 and 5% mm. of participation with Blacks. And, and so this 10% is significant, and it helps us to be able to translate that to the general community.
1: Wow, that's that's double. That's great. Now, it's not lost on me that I'm, I'm talking right now to two Black doctors, right? Black journalists, two Black doctors. And I know the emotional toll that this whole thing has taken on me as a journalist, folks reaching out to me, making sure I'm okay, just covering this really heavy topic and, and watching people who look like me get disproportionately impacted by this disease. What does it feel like for you Dr. Butler, I'll start with you, you know, watching black patients die from this disease at such a higher rate.
4: The best word that I can say is honestly traumatic. You know, the disproportionate effects on our communities has definitely been traumatic and add on to the other additional traumatic events of this past year, uh, it's been quite important for me to participate in self-care and take care of myself mentally. And honestly, I just want to be a part of the solution. And so being a part of the solution has been educating the community so that we can try to get back to a level of normalcy. But most importantly, for us to have a decline or for us to halt these significant number of deaths in our community and the, the country as a whole.
1: Dr. Clark, how are you doing in all of this?
2: Well, as, as Dr. Butler said, it's been quite difficult when you stand at the bedside of a person who knows that they have COVID-19 and you can see the fear in their eyes, it can't help but take a toll on you. So self-care is important but also continuing the work of caring for patients, inviting people in to learn more about the vaccines, about the vaccine trials so they feel confident in the vaccine so that we can become part of the solution Which has had such a terrible, devastating effect on our community to helping them feel confident in the solutions that we're offering. So we can all get in this fight and everyone can be a part of the solution.
1: As we wrap up here, Dr. Butler, any gaps you think we need to address as we get closer to distributing the vaccine to the general public?
4: I think it it is important for the information regarding vaccine distribution being easily accessible. Access to healthcare is a deficit in the, um, the black community. And so being sure that we're utilizing a variety of modalities. So certainly social media, text message, speaking with physicians or other healthcare professionals, That this is at the forefront of the conversations that we're having With our patients so that they know where to go to get the vaccine and that will not be a deterrent in them actually receiving it.
1: That's Dr. Lakeisha Butler, a member of the COVID-19 Task Force on Vaccines and Therapeutics for the National Medical Association and a clinical professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville and Dr. Lois Clark, Director of Clinical Research at Loretto Hospital in the Austin neighborhood on the west side. Dr. Butler, Dr. Clark, thanks so much for your work and your time today.
4: Thank, Thank
1: you for having me. And that's today's Reset. Watch this feed because our series Closing the Gap continues throughout the week. Tomorrow, you'll hear about how doctors and community health workers are working to bolster trust around the COVID-19 vaccine, specifically in black and brown communities hit hardest by the virus. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. And we'll meet again tomorrow.